You guys may be seated. Thank you, Daniel, for doing that. Daniel is, uh, man, I'm so proud of him. Um, Daniel's a guy that I discipled in a group uh, last year. And uh, man, he's now taken off and he is discipling other men in the church. So I'm very thankful for him and uh, reading the word today. Open up your Bibles then to Matthew 6. Y'all ready to eat? Ah, man. <laughs> you're, you're like, yeah, let's get to lunch. That's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about eating, feeding on the word. Uh, let's uh, open those up to Matthew 6. Um, we're in a series called The Way. We're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, I want you to get there in your Bibles because we want you to see here at our church that I, I'm not making this stuff up, that I'm not just up here uh, going on a rant or doing life coaching. Um, at our church, we, everything thrives and, and is founded upon the Word of God. So nothing more, nothing less. Uh, it's just me giving you the Word. Uh, I didn't cook the dish. I'm just the waiter. All right, so I want you to remember that in just a moment. You'll hear when I tell you the topic. And so um, where we've been, the first 18 verses of chapter 6, the last three Sundays, Jesus has been showing us and teaching us the way of worship. The way of worship. And specifically three ways, giving, praying, and fasting. And the, the method that, te- that Jesus uses to teach He says there's a wrong way to do these things, and there's a right way to do these things. There's a way that the self-righteous Pharisees do these, and then there's the way that the true righteous practice these things. He says the Pharisees, they practice these things publicly. The followers of Jesus, they practice these things secretly. The Pharisees practice these things for the applause of men, And the followers of Jesus practice these things for the approval of God. Jesus is teaching that he is way more focused on motivation and not method of these things. And so today in a transition in verses 19 through 24, they make it very clear that worship, practicing righteousness, and following in the way of Jesus is not limited to formal acts of religion, of praying, fasting, giving. It extends to every aspect of our personal lives. And then, of course, today he speaks to one of those personal matters of life as he talks about money and material possessions. He's going to teach us the way of wealth today. Now, remember when I told you that I'm just the waiter? That's what I meant right here because it never fails. There is someone here in our midst today that has come to church, and then here goes the guy talking about money. So I'm just following the script here, uh, and I think if you'll move past maybe a defense mechanism that you may have, I think you'll find some good in it and just just trust the word and where it takes us here today. So uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the first thing that Jesus talks about um, after these three things. I mean, right out of the gate, the first three things he talked about in verses 1 through 18 were about fame. Now he's talking about money. These are two great obstacles to the kingdom of God. Money is a great obstacle to the kingdom of God. And that is why he's going to talk about this thing because money is often the last thing that people surrender to Jesus. Was for me, I don't know about you, it's often the last thing that is surrendered. Uh, You might have heard of a guy named Sam Houston. 
He was a famous 19th century general and a hero of Texas history. Well, he also had the nickname Big Drunk for obvious reasons. And so after 61 years of Sam Houston, his life, fighting the Lord, he finally, in 1854, surrendered his life to Jesus because that's exactly the kind of person that Jesus came to save. And so he gives his life to the Lord. I think he's in his 60s at this time, and he does this. So he met this, uh, this big drunk, met a big savior. And so he gets down, and he's giving his life to the Lord. He's going down to get baptized. His, his, his pastor is going to take him down to the stream, which is local, next to the church. The church goes down there, and they get him ready. They're getting ready to baptize Sam Houston. There's people come all over from uh, the, the country to come see this. The church is there. And so they're getting ready to baptize Sam Houston. The pastor says, hey, uh, uh, General, you probably need to empty your pockets because you're going to be immersed in water. You're going to get wet. So Houston starts fumbling through his pockets. He's pulling out his glasses. He's got some important papers and he's just dumping those things. All right, okay, I'm tracking. And so he's now he's getting ready to get baptized right before he gets into whatever they were baptizing him in the stream. Uh, the, the, the pastor said, whoa, hold up. General, there's, there's still something in your, in your pocket. I, I see your wallet in your back pocket. You'll definitely want to get that out uh, before I get you in the, the water because it's going to get wet. And General Houston said this, if there's any part of me that needs baptizing it is my wallet. Pastor, please baptize me. So he got baptized, wallet and all. Now, sadly, that is not the typical case for most Christians where they figuratively get baptized holding their wallet out of the water in fear that it might get wet as well. It is often the last thing that is baptized. Maybe today, as you're here Maybe your debit card, credit card, checkbook, purse, wallet needs to get baptized. Martin Luther said this, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. He knew, Jesus knew our propensity to treasure the treasures of this earth and to love money more than God. So he talks about it right out of the gate. We're going to see a few things here. We're going to see a pattern of these five verses here. We're going to see Jesus describe two kingdoms. He's going to talk about two visions or two eyesights to have, and then he's going to talk about two masters. So let's look at each one of those three things, the first one being the two kingdoms at play here. Verses 19 through 21, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've all heard these things before, of course. This is not an unfamiliar passage. But here's what I want you to see here. First of all, notice that Jesus does not condemn treasure in this passage. He doesn't even condemn storing up treasures for yourself, does he? That's not what he does. He's not condemning us having possessions or wealth 
or money. What he's talking about here, as he's done the same way the first 18 verses, he says there is a right way and then there is a wrong way. There is a wrong way to lay up treasures for yourself on earth in your house. And then there's a right way to lay up treasures in heaven for God's house. He's going to contrast these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the earth or world, and then the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at these two different kingdoms and what they mean um, as far as this investment. We can invest or make deposits in one of these two kingdoms. And so the first one he says, do not lay up treasures for yourself on the kingdom of the earth. What does that kind of look like? Well, first of all, he's talking to Jewish people in an ancient world. So in this ancient world, let's think about who he's talking to in this moment. Clothing was extremely, extremely valuable to the Jewish people. Remember when we went through um, Joshua and Achan had hid some plunder and possessions? Well, one of those things was a cloak. It was a cloak from uh, Shimar. And so they, they coveted very preciously their clothing, right? They had a lot of clothing. It was a lot of wealth, a lot of prestige. Well, they didn't have dresser drawers and walk-in closets to protect their clothes from hungry moths. So they were very susceptible to being eaten. Their treasures of silver, of gold, and other precious metals, they didn't have steel safes in their bedrooms or banks that they could take them to for protection. They would take their possessions and either stick it in the ground, the dirt ground floor in their house. They didn't have parquet floors and tile. They stuck it in the ground. They buried it or they stuck it in the walls of their homes that was made out of mud, which was kind of like a brick. So when they did that, that made it susceptible for thieves to break in and steal their possessions or rust to destroy their precious treasures. So he tells them, don't lay up treasures for yourself. This idea of laying up, here's what it means in translation in the Greek. It means hoarding, storing up treasures for yourself on earth because moths are hungry, rust destroys, and thieves steal. That is what they do. I think he's addressing here this idea that hoarding is very, for yourself on earth, is very selfish. It's very sinful. It's actually very foolish as well because he's basically saying, hey, when you're storing up all that stuff, listen, man, it's the stuff of future yard sales. It ain't going to be yours one day. You're going to hand it down. It's going to end up at Goodwill somewhere. Pass that down through the generations. You search that thing to the very end. It's not going to be yours. Eventually, all things will rust, be stolen, or will be eaten. What does it look like to store up treasures for yourself on earth? And what is the danger in living this way? Well, I think the, the clearest picture for us to understand here is let's let Scripture tell us what this is like. Let's look over, flip over to Luke 12 and verse 16, and let's look at a guy 
who laid up treasures for himself on earth. And let's look at also the danger of doing this. Luke 12, you've heard this before, bigger barns. Luke 12 says this, and he told them a parable. This is Jesus, of course. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, Self, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, the bigger barns guy was selfish. He's, I mean, he's having a conversation with himself, right? I mean, that's a Already an indication you're pretty selfish if you just sit around and talk to yourself, right? Self, let's do this. He stored up treasures for himself on earth so that he could eat, drink, and be merry to have his best life now. See, Bigger Barnes guy, he was really, really good at thinking about tomorrow. His problem was is he didn't think about eternity He might have been a guy that was a great financial planner, wise with his money, investing stocks here and there. He's preparing for the future. After all, preparing for the future is a wise counsel. Isn't that a wise thing to do? Of course we should. Unless, of course, our preparing for the future causes us to forget eternity. And there's the danger of storing up treasures for ourselves. Now, let me say something here before we, as I unpack this. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having wealth or having money. Having material things isn't sinful. Being materialistic is sinful. Having possessions isn't wrong, but when your possessions have you, That is when you are laying up treasures on earth. I've got some, I miss a lot of people at this church. I've got good, good friends, and they have a lot of stuff. They have a lot of possessions. They have a lot of wealth. And you know what? They are the most generous people that I know. They don't store it up for themselves. It's not, it's not that they just have their own houses, these dream big homes and their cars and their money flashing around and it's just for them and their own family. That's not the case. They're very generous people. So this is not about having stuff. This is about being possessed by your possessions. That is what Jesus is addressing here Think about also differentiating the two things between having possessions and being possessed by your possessions. What does that look like? I think being possessed by your possessions is someone who's all, I'm going to park my car over there because I don't want anybody to touch it. Oh my gosh, if I get a door ding, that's my car. You know how hard I work for that? Oh, no one could come into my house with dirty shoes. Man, they'll get the carpets all messed up. You know how hard that is to replace? 
Let's not have anybody over at our house. That is treasuring the treasures of the earth. That is being possessed by your possessions. Flashy cars, big houses, telling people about your stuff. That is being possessed by possessions. Being possessed by your possessions is you're constantly talking about, planning for things. Hey, do you know all the stuff that I have? Man, I've got this boat. I've got to take it out. I've got this camper on the weekends. I've got this house, this cabin down in whatever. We go travel on the weekends. and I, like you, You're talking about constantly storing up, making investments, money. It's just the thing that dominates your life and your words. That is laying up treasures on earth. Shopping, planning, buying, that habitual practice over and over again. This will satisfy me. This will bring me great joy. This will make the sadness go away. That is what it means to lay up treasures on earth. And he is clearly warning us against these things. But it is so easy It's so easy to treasure our treasures, church, isn't it? It's so easy. You know why? Because it it starts at a very early age, doesn't it? One of the, like, I'm I'm RC, I'm husband to Callie, I'm father to my four kids, and I'm also Pop-Pop to four grandsons. All right? It's one of my names, Pop-Pop. Don't call me Pop-Pop because I'm not your (laughs) Pop-Pop. But listen, it's so easy to see this already hardwired in our DNA from a very early age to treasure our treasures. When, when our grandsons come over, they, they, they arrive, they come in the back door, and they come in, and I'm telling you what, they either have a bin, a personalized bin of all of their toys and all of their treasures that they brought from home, or they've got a handful of things. They've got like a Mario thing, they've got a, a Batman Lego, they've got a Spider-Man, they just got all, they're all got their own things, and they're clinging to them like this right when they walk in the door. They're walking around, and then all of a sudden, they, they kind of want to make their way into the, uh, the playroom, which is a, a, a version of Disney vomiting or throwing up all over the floor. There's toys everywhere, and so they're, they're grabbing more treasures. Like, it's not enough to have this, and now they're replacing this treasure. They're grabbing all these things, and then they make it to the secret closet that is full of more treasures action figures, all these things, and they they just can't get enough of these little treasures. They're they're taking them, they're storing them up, hoarding them, hiding them, so that their brothers, the little moths, don't eat or steal their treasures. (laughs) I mean, they're they're just doing it constantly, you know, just protecting, and then when it's time to go, right, it's time to go, it's like, Okay, this is like this is on routine at our house. All right, go get your treasures. That like they go go find the things that they brought, and if they forget or they can't find or they have lost one of those things, it does not go well. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't go well. Now I don't see it on the ride home. My my daughter in law, my son, got to deal with that in the minivan, but it doesn't go good. Why? Because it's in our DNA to treasure our possessions. It's so hardwired in. And, and of course, that doesn't go away at childhood, does it? The fact that we treasure doesn't change. The things that we do treasure changes. It goes from action figures to shoes, clothing, 
electronics, cars, homes. Yeah, ouch. Right, Fred? I mean, it it is a full-blown treasure fest in the things that we do. John Rockefeller says this. He He was one of the wealthiest Americans to ever live. He made a fortune in the oil industry. He said this when he was asked, Hey, John, how much, more, how much money is enough money? You know how, like, we would, we would ask our celebrities that often? They, they're just multimillionaires. Like, how much money is enough money? And here's what he said, a little bit more. That, that's, why, that's why celebrities don't ever retire, by the way. It's not about money. It, it's never enough. It doesn't satisfy the human soul, so they always want more. This is a dangerous dangerous things. Some, some statistics about how we are prone to do this. Um, did a little bit of research here. According to recent credit card data, the average person spends 2300 on clothing or shoes each year. Now, that's per person. So if you've got a family of five in the house, do the math. Over a, um, an average family will spend approximately $1,500 a year on new electronics. That would be Obviously increasing with inflation. Electronics, phones. Our iPhones don't even have time for, Ross, or for rust or moths to destroy. Because we've got to replace that thing when the next one comes out. So we're, just, we're, like, we're like instant satis- satisfaction. We just want to go, 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 go. Everything's an app away. We are a people that are pulled into magnetically treasuring our possessions. Bodie Bauckham said this, no matter how good things get in this world, it's all Egypt. There will never be enough clothes, cash, cars, gold chains, silver, or anything else to satisfy the yearning that God has placed in us. You can't stuff a million dollars in the hole in your heart and and expect to be satisfied. It'll never be enough. You can shove the nicest cars in there. It won't satisfy your soul. Your dream house, the one that, I mean, you've, eventually it's not going to be your dream house anymore. It won't satisfy the longing of our souls. And this is, of course, his point. They're all temporary things here today and gone tomorrow. Now, we've heard how dangerous it is to lay up treasures on earth, right? Bigger Barnes guy said and showed us that you can actually lose your soul. So this is pretty dangerous, right? Well, it's not just about losing your soul. Laying up treasures on earth right now, it can eat, steal, and destroy your family. I see this sometimes, and listen, it, 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 it aches me. And here's, here's the way that kind of looks sometimes. There'll be a family, and they've got their eyes set on that house. We must buy this house. It is my dream home. This car, I must have. And they set their, their minds on this treasure. And so they're willing to do anything to make sure that it happens. Moms will even, man, they'll go to work full time for it. I'll go to the workforce if I can get that house because Susie, she's got that house and I want that house too. 
And so when I look at it on Instagram, I must have that house. I'll go to work if that's what it takes to get that house. Or they'll turn to husband and say, you go get me that house. You get me that house. That is my dream. I've always wanted that house. So what does husband do? Okay, I'll do whatever you want to. And so husband goes to work hard over time. He's working countless hours, sucking up to the boss, climbing the corporate ladder, selling out completely to make sure that they get that house. Sacrificing on the altar his marriage, his children. They resent him. Yeah, they have $150 jeans, but he's not around. They resent that. This is what it means to lay up treasures on earth. This is the danger behind that. Man, if that even remotely describes you, sell the house. Sell the house. Sell the possessions. Give to the needy. Get out from underneath that kind of slavery. If treasuring the things of the earth compromises your walk with Jesus Christ, your faithfulness and your commitment to your church, it's not worth it. Let it go. This is not the kind of life, this is not the way of the followers of Jesus. It is the way of the world, but it is not the way of Jesus Christ. So now Jesus tells us the way, the way of the kingdom. He tells his followers to stockpile, to lay up, to hoard treasures for themselves in heaven. In heaven, where they are safe, where they are in the Father's hands, where moths are no longer hungry, where there is no rust, there are no thieves in heaven to steal all of the things that you stockpile. They are in the safe hands of God. And so not only is our Not only are our possessions safe, are our treasures in heaven safe, the disciples who lay up treasures in heaven, they're safe too. Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no Moth destroys. The next question that you might have that we should have is what does that mean? What does that look like to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? Well, a couple of things. I'm not talking about giving to United Way, talking about giving to the way, the way of Jesus, of course. I'm not talking about just taking our clothes this afternoon and putting them in the car and giving them to Goodwill. That's a nice gesture. But that's not what laying up treasures in heaven means. It means giving up things for the good name of Jesus. Our giving is done for the name and the fame of Jesus. He gets the glory, right? If I drop off my clothes at Goodwill, you know what they say? Hey, you're such a nice guy. Thank you for dropping off your stuff. I get glory for that. It's not giving for the name of Jesus Christ. We give We store up, lay up, hoard treasures in heaven so that God's name may be famed across the world. That is what laying 
up treasures in heaven. When we faithfully tithe, when you tithe here, every single time you tithe faithfully, church, you're making an eternal deposit in the kingdom of God. Safe, never stolen, a faithful deposit in the kingdom of God. When you scholarship a student to camp, some of you, and you gave faithfully so a kid could go to camp this year uh, for the hopes of salvation. Every, everyone who did that, you made a deposit in the kingdom of heaven. When you help a needy family in the church, you loving on one another who, who is in need, either financially, bringing them a meal, anything that you're doing that causes sacrifice, you are storing up treasures in heaven. When you support a missionary, some of you support missionaries monthly, or you give to a missionary care team that are getting ready to go over and you give them a package, that is making a deposit in the kingdom of heaven. He takes our little, he makes it much. This is what it means to make deposits in the kingdom of God. Let me, let me ask you something. Some of you might be sitting here today and you're like, I, I want to do that. Like, I, I know I should be tithing, giving to missionary, helping the needy. I know I should be doing those things for the kingdom of heaven. I know it, but I just don't know how I'm going to afford it. Or, you might be thinking, well, if I do that, then I won't be able to afford this. Let me lovingly say something to you. If you can't afford to give to the kingdom of heaven, it's probably because you are too busy laying up treasures on earth for yourself. That's the reality. It's not a financial problem. Listen, I, I, I love you, and I'm saying it's not a financial problem that you have. It's not a budget issue. It's that you are too busy treasuring the things on the earth and you've gotten yourself in that position. And you need to start doing something about it. You need to change your life so it's more consistent with storing up treasure on earth. And of course, in verse 21, again, it, you know, this, this, is not, this is not about taking up an offering today. So if you're, you know, kind of nervous a little bit, you can keep the, keep the wallet in your back pocket. Jesus you know, as much as he talked about money with people, he talked about money a lot, more than heaven and hell and sex and all kinds of other things. Money, 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 money. Jesus talked about money. You know what? He never took up an offering. He never promoted a get me to Jerusalem campaign. <laughs> he just didn't do it. You know what he talked about? The heart. Where your heart, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's what he talked about. Because he knew if he got the heart, he knew our money would follow. Do you understand how that works? So not taking up an offering, but when you give your heart to Jesus, your money will follow. That's the point of his teaching here. Where our treasure is, our heart will be also. This is the longest section of today, by the way. You can breathe for a minute, but... I know it's a little lengthy, but everything else feeds off of that. Let me, let me leave you with an x-ray question right here before we move into the next phase. Which kingdom are you storing up treasure in? 
This might be a question that you and your spouse and your family might need to discuss today as you go home. Don't leave the sermon at the door. You might want to go home and, hey, we need to talk about this. Are, are we? Honey, are, what do you think? Are we really putting too much stock in the treasures of the earth? And talk about that with, as a family. It'd be a great, great discipling piece. Now, let me jump into these next two because what these next two things, they are illustrations. The next two points are illustrations that Jesus uses to prove his first point. He uses two more illustrations to help us to understand because illustrations, Jesus used them a ton in his teaching because illustration gives eyes to ears. It helps us to understand a little bit more. So he does this. Now let's look at it in 22 and verse 20, uh, 22. Yeah. The eye is the lamp of a body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. He's illustrating the point with an example of eyesight, right? Just plain eyesight. Just think about our eyes today. The eye is similar to the heart and Jewish literature. So he's basically saying when the eye is good, the whole self is good. When the eye is bad, the whole self is bad. He says a healthy eye lets light into the whole body so that then the whole body can see, right? A bad eye uh, does not allow light in, can't see clearly, and then the whole body is full of darkness. You can't see anything, you can't distinguish anything, and you have specks in your eye, and then you're blind. This is basic eyesight 101. And so me, I don't know about, if y'all know this, my eyes are jacked. I mean, my eyes are so jacked, they're so bad. And uh, so I didn't really know how bad my eyes were until I, of course, I went to the doctor. And so as I go to the doctor, um, they give me some help, all right? So I stand up here today, and so I have, uh, I have contacts in my eyes that help me see far away. Uh, and then, and so what, then what happened is I started to see pretty far good there, and then, but then everything really close started getting really, really fuzzy. You hit about 50, that'll happen, and so maybe even earlier. So then I can't see there too, so then I gotta go back to the doctor. What do I do now? I, can't, I, can, I can see great there, and I can't see here now, so hey, you need to check out these readers, and that's what these things are for. And, and so now I've, I've got help. I didn't know how bad my eyes were until I went to the doctor, so they give me, they give me uh, contacts, and I've got readers. I should probably be able to see the future with all the things I have on in my eyes. But that is the point of Jesus' teaching here. In our natural position, our eyes are not always clear. They're a little fuzzy. They're a little glossy. Sometimes there's specks in our eyes or blind spots. And that we may not actually see which kingdom we're putting our treasure in. And we might need to get a little bit of help so that we can see rightly this examination question. Where does that help come from? As my eyes, I go to an optometrist to help us to see spiritually. We go to the Holy Spirit to help us see things more clearly. Help me to see rightly. I don't know which kingdom I'm putting these things in. 
But Holy Spirit, I depend upon you to give me a better vision, to see better. You know what else is a great source to help you get some vision correction? Going to other people who love Jesus and just asking them, what do you see? Is there a speck in my eye? Am I not seeing something? You might be like, well, I mean, yeah, I want to be honest with you. I love you, but golly, you're really making this pursuit of your dream home a thing. Like you're really talking about it way too much. I think you love your car a little bit too much. When it gets a scratch, you freak out. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You talk about money a whole lot. Stocks, bonds, investments. Like it seems to be the thing that you talk about all the time. Okay, thank you for correcting my vision. That is what Jesus is teaching here We need the assistance of the Holy Spirit and other people. What's ironic in that? You know what's ironic? We we don't know about our bad vision, but you know what we are good at? Seeing everybody else's problems. (laughs) You know? Oh, look at them. Look at the car they drive. Look at that house. Golly, they're really storing up kingdom and treasures on earth. We're good at that. Our vision is great when it comes to the fault of the others, right? It's just not so good when we look at our own How is your vision today? Again, another question to go on the way home. That may ask the Holy Spirit to give you a better vision to reveal if there are specks in your eyes and you're not seeing things clearly or go to a brother or a sister in the church. This is what we, why we have a collective faith for the good of everyone involved. Now the last point, illustration he uses to kind of put the exclamation point on his point is the idea of having two masters. Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is very definitive with these last two statements. It is the line in the sand Choose this day, Joshua, if you will, statement. Choose who you're going to serve. You are either a slave to money or you are a slave to God. By the way, if you're a Christian, being a slave to God is the most glorious title you could ever have. If that offends you in any way, something wrong with your eyes. It is a beautiful thing to be a slave to God. Now, it is not a beautiful thing to be a slave to the master of money. We have to choose one or the other. When he says this, here's who I think he's addressing. I think he's addressing here the person who is clothed in religion, but they have a secret Love for cash. I think he's talking about the person who goes to church, says that they want God, practicing things of God, maybe even tithing, giving to the missionary, maybe even physically performing the outward signs of religion, but then secretly they still have a love for money more than God. 
It's possible. Did you know it's possible to do that? It is possible to come to church faithfully week in and week out to serve the church, serve God, and also serve money? It's possible. I know it's possible because I've done it. (laughs) I, I can tell you I love Jesus I didn't want my wallet wet. Now, I, I was doing some, uh, some religious things in our walk. We were doing that as a family, but we could never, we just didn't have enough money all the time. I craved more of it because I always thought more of it would surely be the solution to our problems. Underneath all of my religiosity, I loved money more than God. And we know the story of the. I'm going to paraphrase here. I'm not going to read through because of time's sake. The rich young ruler in the gospel of Luke, how this guy comes up. What do I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He wants eternity. He wants to go to heaven. And Jesus says a few things to him. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. False witness. Honor your mother and father. And you know what he said? Check. He was doing all those things. Done them. Good. He's knocking it out of the park with his external religion. And of course, Jesus being sovereign over his heart, he knew what was going on in here. He says, well, here's what you got to do. Go sell everything. He was exposing the rich young ruler for the hypocrite that he was. He served Money, not God. And he walked away sad. There is no in-between here, church. You have to pick a side. I have to pick a side. Now, he's not telling us that we should hate money here, by the way. I was reading this yesterday. I was talking with my wife here. He tells us that we're supposed to despise one. So he's not saying despise, hate money. He's saying to despise and hate Money as your master. That's what he's talking about here. So the question I leave you in here with a section is who is your master? When money is your master, you will be a slave to it. Everything will revolve around it. It will keep you on a leash. It is an oppressive master Or do you want to be served by the master who is God, who is for your good, your freedom from the slavery of the mastering of money? We have to pick a side. Now, I want to give you a couple of applications, and then we're going to to take the Lord's Supper together today. And so there's some time for you, maybe not be able to do it all here today, but I want you to ask yourself these individual questions that the Holy Spirit really might reveal to you this idea of which kingdom am I investing in. I, I, I do. I want, I want families and husbands and wives to talk about this on the way home. And th- listen, this is, this is not light stuff. It might bring up the question of you having to move and downsize your home. That's a big deal. Oh, what about the kids? Well, I don't know. You're never home anyway. You're working so hard to keep the house. You might get the house, but you might lose your home. 
It, it, it might confront you with some pretty serious decisions today. But remember what's on the other side. Freedom. Good. Stockpiling treasures in heaven that will never be destroyed, eaten by moss or rust. Some of you might need some assistance with your finances. A professional, one of the great beauties of our church is we have financial counseling. All you got to do is just call the office and say, hey, I hear it, I want to do it, but man, I got this stack of bills, I don't know what to do. Swallow the pride, ask for the help. That is what we do. Some of you need to some of you need to take the very first step in investing in the kingdom of heaven by tithing. Like that, that's, that's the baseline. That's the start for Christianity. If you can't start there, you probably are not going to go anywhere else. Or you'll try to skip that because it's not as painful and you'll go to something else. Start by treasuring up for yourself things in heaven by practicing the tithe. Be obedient to the tithe and giving above and beyond. Let me be clear, though, as we wrap this up. There is no amount of giving, no amount of hoarding, and no amount of treasuring up things for heaven that will gain you favor with God. He cannot be bought. He can't be bribed. You can't give God millions and millions of dollars and remove the sin debt that we owe. The only thing that makes us right with God, of course, is believing grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the only thing, the only thing that makes us right with God, eternal and abundant life forever. And ever. So some of you today, that is your step. Not a giving with tithing or money. Or, it's just a giving your heart to Jesus Christ. We inherit the kingdom of God not by giving anything, do we? Other than our sin. We receive the kingdom of God by receiving, not giving. Receiving a new heart that is found in believing in Jesus. So today, if you... You don't know Christ. You've been, you've been trying to think that money is the thing that's going to satisfy the longing of your soul. I hope you've heard the good news today. It's only Jesus that can do that, and he is available. Whosoever believes in Jesus, he's available to you and offering you the gift of salvation today. And so would you, either you can mark something on a box, on a card, come see us afterwards, um, talk with us about that. We would love to do that. Uh, now we're going to transition into taking communion today, the Lord's Supper together. And let me remind you, as we've talked about here, who this table is for. This is a, the idea of a, the Lord's Supper is this idea of table, of intimacy, collectively doing it in a church. This is why we don't do it individually in our homes. This is a, a church-wide family meal. Let me tell you, Who's invited to this meal and who can eat at this table? It is not for those 
who have perfectly laid up treasures for themselves in heaven every day of their life. It is not for people who have 2020 spiritual vision. And it is not for people who've only served God as master all of their days perfectly. It's not a table for people like that. It's the table for people who have confessed and admitted that they have stored up treasures on earth for themselves. For people who acknowledge they have blind spots, that they don't always see themselves and their sin rightly. And it is for people who've confessed They are guilty of serving the master of money so many times of their life. It is those people who have confessed in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have found forgiveness for all of those things in him. That who this table is for. So if that's you, I want to give you just a moment, an opportunity to confess those things to get your heart rightly to the things we talked about today before we eat this meal together. If you're someone who has not given your life to Christ, you are, you're asked and told really by Paul here to not partake in this meal, that your greatest need is not a little cracker and a little thing of juice today. It's Jesus. And so we want to tell you what that means and the weight and wonder of it. So let me give you just a moment to do that and we'll come back up together.